This episode is brought to you by our wonderful patrons. If you enjoy the Coffee and Cocktails podcast, make sure to like, subscribe, and become a patron starting at one pound per month. By supporting the show, you get access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, panels, workshops, free merchandise, and much more. Just head over to patreon.com slash coffee and cocktails podcast and subscribe today. Otherwise, we'd like to give a shout out to our newest patron, Noreen K. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the 34th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Ann Wand. This month for our Controversies and Contraband series, we have the pleasure of talking with Sonia Golzeb Abbasi, lecturer in Pakistan studies at Comstats University in Islamabad and current anthropology student at SOAS University of London. Today, we will be questioning the popular social media concept of travel photography and its potential link to power and colonialism. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Dr. Ann, for inviting me and giving me this honor to talk about it. Uh, the topic which is very, you know, I'm very passionate uh, to talk about it. And so, yeah, thank you. Well, it's a pleasure having you. As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you're having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Sonia, would you like to start? All right. So I was, you know, back in the days in 2010 when Instagram was came into being, right? I was very active on Instagram, you know, uh, you know, being a, a, a sort of to keep a check on the patterns and what is going on. So I was not active myself on Instagram, like posting stuff and, and all that, just to keep how the digital revolution is shaping the, you know, the attitudes of the people, etc., etc. So I started following a lot of, you know, vloggers and bloggers and YouTubers, which who were very active on Instagram, Instagram as well, who were, you know, who would go, who would travel to the far-flung far areas in India, Pakistan, Africa, and, you know, they would make videos of the people and they would, you know, get a lot of following by showing videos of those people to the Instagram community, to the YouTube community. So, you know, I, I, you know, I used to see those videos and I used to just reflect and, you know, ask myself that there's something, you know, there's something uncomfortable about the videos and the pictures which these, uh, you know, white photographers share. So there was set patterns, you know, Mm -hmm. about, you know, showing that native is dark, native is strange, native life starts with the poverty and it ends with the poverty, right? Mm, okay. While on the other hand, I'm not suggesting this that, the, you know, the people of these post-colonial societies or the, you know, countries from Asia, Africa, for instance, Pakistan, India, you know, Tanzania, etc., etc., they have a very you know, they have all figured out and there is an equality going on there and they are thriving. But, you know, being a, a, coming from Pakistan, myself as well, I can vouch that, that there are a lot of other things to show to the world as well. You know, the women of Pakistan are thriving, trust me. We have a beautiful culture, we have beautiful, uh, you know, history, we have buildings, we have food. None of these, you know, bloggers or these photographers which i was looking they were showing the other picture of the of the you know these cultures to the world so from there i started you know researching about white gays i started researching about white savior industrial complex 
and then mm. the rest is history. <laughs> mm. um, so if we could, uh, what drink are you having before we dive into some of the more juicy questions for the show? Sorry? What, what? drink are you having for drink? the show? Drink? Yeah. I'm coffee, having coffee. coffee. Trust me, I'm having coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it's a coincidence. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, fourth or fifth? Which which number coffee is it? No, I I'm not a caffeine lover at all. So this is my first cup of coffee. Yeah, I thought I'm going to the oh. coffee uh, podcast and I should have a cup of coffee. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not. <laughs> not going to be functioning. No, that's fair. Um, so when you contacted me a while ago, um, you had mentioned um, this idea, as you mentioned before, about the white gaze, um, about some issues that you had had with regards to uh, white Western interpretations or use of photography and how it seems to be portraying, or at least it does to my eyes as a white person, um, this idea that, you know, West is best, right? And that anything outside of that Western gaze, we should feel sorry for them. I, I really um, appreciate your use of the term savior complex. I think that that is quite on point. Um, but I guess one of the things that I'd like to kind of dive in a bit more detail. I mean, you talk about how you got really involved in Instagram and then that sort of led you to start looking at travel photography and how that, you know, the ethics behind how that photography is being used. Um, and when we started talking a bit more about, you know, maybe some ethical concerns behind um, how those pictures are being used, you uh, talked about major um, magazines like National Geographic where one of the issues you noticed is that um, the photographers, there's a, a pattern in the way in which they portray their subject, should we say, where the West is seen as positive, it's viewed in a light manner, whereas the East is always portrayed as having undertones or overtones of hunger and violence and third world poverty through exotic poster child images of children men without their clothes, living these purportedly miserable lives. And one of the individuals you brought up, which really struck a chord with me, was a photographer by the name of Steve McCurry, who, for those listeners who may be familiar, he's known for taking a picture of what is now referred to as the Afghan girl, where he won a series of awards. And I know, you know, there's been some discussions about making sure her family have been able to work their way into Italy uh, for a myriad of reasons. Um, but there had been questions in terms of the way that picture had profited him, quite possibly, as opposed to profiting the person who was the source that he used in order to make this picture public. Um, so before we dive into the second half of that question, I'd just be curious to know what aspects potentially of that photo or similar photos um, you might find problematic and then we'll go from there. All right. So if we closely observe the patterns of those pictures of the girls, I can sense because, you know, I, 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 I am very good with observing things which can't be seen with the naked eye, right? You can clearly see the, those pictures of the girls. Either they are terrified or they are angry or they are sort of in a, which clearly shows that those girls are not happy about the pictures. 
there might be some exceptions of the pictures of the girl where girls are smiling and then you know that makes me feel this that this is very problematic right because you know as human beings we should try to represent people right as we think for ourselves to be representative right and you know taking a picture of a small shy girl there's another you know photographer and i'll come to him as well later in our talk he's a national geographic photographer as well he took a similar picture of a girl his name is right matthew pale he took a picture of a girl small girl with beautiful eyes and i can see that she's terrified that picture is you know that picture is uh, uh, present in his websites and he's you know making a lot of money from that picture yeah. so i mean it's 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 simple human you know sort of a logic that you can sense that that there's something wrong with the picture yeah mm i mean i think it also kind of dives into this issue that um you know photog uh, you know taking pictures of minors without the consent of their parents right um i can remember when i was 19 years old and you know in hindsight i'm mortified at what i did but i had friend i was living in italy at the time and i had um friends who would take these really cool pictures of of kids you know playing out with birds and stuff and um i thought it wouldn't be great if i could take a picture like that so sitting at a park i took a picture of this kid and playing with the birds and i didn't think anything of it because i was 19 years old and nobody had sat me down and gone you have no business taking pictures of other people's kids without their permission and this mother came up to me and accused me of everything under the sun and i was mortified that she would think that i was that kind of person cuz i was just a student taking a picture of to my mind something innocent not realizing that this is somebody's child this is you know this they need to protect their child they don't know me they don't know what my intentions are they don't know what i'm going to do with that picture and i remember that sticking with me years and years later when i became an anthropologist and i started taking pictures i never took pictures of people and if i did take pictures of people it was pictures of my colleagues at work who were there smiling with me and there was maybe a couple instances again where i took pictures but i never published them they were private you know those weren't the ones that you would put forward towards a competition necessarily because you don't have the permission to do so they don't they didn't know their picture was taken and yet it was only some years later that the ethics board started to realize oh maybe we should be asking for the permission of these people but that was only as of 2 or 3 years ago so i think that that's interesting that you sort of bring this up about you know it's not just a matter of you know the west the white west taking a picture of somebody and profiting potentially but the ethical implications of using somebody against their their will in essence because they might not even know that they're being taken advantage of in the first place absolutely and then again you know the the double standards attached to it you know that the double standards while dealing with a western white kid and then then dealing with the kid and a gwan kid right and mm. a pakhtun kid this breaks my heart trust me mm. this breaks my heart kids are kids right sure sure yeah innocent beautiful yeah souls 
So trust me, that makes me very emotional. Yeah, I have a lot of nephews and nieces, and I love them. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's the double standard how the Western kid is shown and how the Eastern kid is shown. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. We need to have honest conversations around these. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, but I think to kind of tie into that a bit more. Um, can you provide any other examples to suggest that Westerners may be profiting from these types of pictures, whether it be pictures from, you know, an Asian context? And I, I put that in brackets because I realize we're dealing with a massive continent here, um, you know, and, and Africa also being uh, a myriad of over 50 countries. Um, but could you kind of give our listeners an idea of some of the other aspects of taking these photos, potentially negative, that could result from travel photography, something that seems quite innocent, something that seems quite joyful or whatever, or potentially empowering. I think a lot of people view travel photography as quite empowering. Um, what could be the side effects of this that maybe the West isn't taking into consideration? All right. So, like I mentioned earlier, there's a photographer known as Matthew Pale because, you know, I have evidence, right? I have done my research on almost few of the National Ge Geographic photographers. This photographer, Matthew Pale, he has got some assignment doing in the northern areas and the Himalayas and Karakulam region of Pakistan, and right? So if you go to his website, he has a lot of pictures of the girls, of the women, and he took the two pictures which seemed really problematic to me, right? One is a picture of a mental health patient in Pakistan. He's standing in a, in a shady area, right? And the caption of that picture has got nothing to do with, the, with that person, that mental health patient. The caption talks about the hot summers in one of the cities in Pakistan. And this photographer, Matthew Pale. He, he might have, he have sent his picture to the Time magazine and they published it. And that picture is still present in the Instagram handle of Time magazine. People called out that picture that it, this is problematic at so many levels that you are making this mental health patient life vulnerable. And it's, it's, a, it's a simple logic. Do you think that that mental health patient is aware that his picture is being circulated on social media with mm. lots of following? Another instance of the same photogra photographer, Matthew Pale, that picture he also posted on, in, on his Instagram handle. There's a daft man sitting on the, on the roadside. And, the, you know, the, that picture doesn't make any sense. At all. In what way? I mean, if you can, for those that aren't familiar with the, with the picture, could you explain a bit more? I mean, he's a man with a dwarfism, the condition, right? Oh, dwarfism. He's sitting, yeah, yeah, he's sitting on the roadside and then he's talking about that, how he's, he's earning this, this, this. He's sitting there and people, you know, just uh, who, who pass the road, uh, give him money as, you know, a sort of, a, he's showing him as a beggar or something. That's it. Okay. Okay. Right? So I think, you know, these do those pictures very were very heartbreaking for me, trust me, that 
if these white photographers do not even spare the people with the mental health issues or the physical you know uh, disabilities these you know the western photojournalism community need to have real conversation around these things which trust me is i think it's very it's very I mean, disappointing would you say that there is a tendency to um kind of take advantage of people's vulnerabilities yes absolutely absolutely okay. and uh, another thing which i want to add he's making money from these pictures okay if you go to his website he's selling his pictures from from you know ranging from 600 euros to 3000 euros right and let me tell you if you convert this money to the to the to the pakistani rupees or indian rupees this is the money these people might make the picture the people who are photographed they might earn in years or months right the price of one right 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 yeah yeah i mean i guess it also gets into this question of um you know the west sort of imposing their I, i do wonder if there's a risk or a danger of um western imposition um you know when you when you talk about you know if we can talk about the savior complex that you were mentioning earlier um and you and you see this quite a bit with um people who i i'd like to think are well intended but um you see it in in mission communities for example where they might place themselves in environments um You know, I knew of one instance where there was a community in Tanzania, for example, and they had gone at it with this intent of wanting to help. And I think in photography sometimes people go at it with this idea of I want to shed light onto an issue that maybe they feel like isn't being discussed. But while the intentions might be good, the outcomes might not be positive. And I was wondering if you could talk about how this othering of you know people that maybe um they want to help how this othering could have a backlash in terms of um the sort of effect that it could have on the west could you provide us a, firstly an understanding of what othering is and then how um this intent to want to help through the savior complex can actually create more harm than good All right. So I'll start this with a with a with a quotation by one of the former uh, British Prime Minister Benjamin Disraeli. He said that East is a career, right? Mm. He said that, right? And then another quotation. This reminds me of another quote by Karl Marx, which he said that they cannot represent themselves, so they must be represented. For you know, to rule them, to exploit them, to extract the you know of. uh resources from them and etc cetera, etc cetera. you know that's uh, let's not dive into the history because you know you know there is a lot of history attached to it right so now coming back to the question you asked of otherizing us again i'll try to explain this through another example of the you know pictures which are uh, which are uh taken by this our uh, steve mackery in <laughs> famous steve mackery right So if you go to the his timeline on Instagram he's uh, nowadays he's talking 
Oh, by the way, another fun fact that he blocked me from Instagram ages ago when I tried to confront him and I asked him that, Steve, that there's a pattern you follow that, you know, you show West as a very enlightened and, you know, and very progressive people. And when, on the other hand, when it comes to East, you show the undertones of poverty, hunger, war-torn people, sad people, furious people. Why is it that? He instantly, he said... I said that it's not a coincidence. And then he answers to my uh, comment and then he instantly blocked me from Instagram. But still, I found some other ways to get into his Instagram. So recently, he's he, all he's talking about Afghanistan, right? He's showing uh, Taliban's and the people with the guns and the woman with the burqas, you know, the right. woman-woman identity, Muslim-woman identity, which they paint with the same brush, right? And recently, he showed a picture from Bangladesh, right? Okay. If you know, Bangladesh is one of the thriving economies in South Asia right now. Mm-hmm. Their growth rate is has exceeded about 10, right? Okay. And uh, Bangladesh is doing quite well as compared to Pakistan, India, and rest of the countries in, in South Asia, Asia right? Like that, correct? So he put a picture of the kids without shirts, and those kids are really, they, they seem very terrified and very amused and there are mixed emotions on their faces, right? Okay. And you know, if you go to the few posts ahead of that uh, picture of the Bangladeshi kids, he shows New York, right? And instantly when, he, when it comes to the Western, Western people portraying Western people, the books come in. <laughs> people are reading books. So this is a pattern, trust me, I observe that East, according to Steve McCurry, is all about sad people, crying people, doing, you know, the yeah, McCurry even show our religious and cultural rituals like very strange and yeah. And when it comes to West, people are reading books. They are sitting in the coffee shops. Again, I'm not suggesting this that East has East has all happy things going on right right west has a lot of you know problems as well like i just moved to uk and now i can see with my own eyes that there's homelessness there's poverty there are so many issues going on here right Mm. but you know the no negative image from the west right and no positive image from the east well and i think there's um there's a really good organization um that focuses on poverty in uh, the west um, particularly in the U.S. context, it's called Invisible People. And what they sort of address is that in the Western context, those that are dealing with poverty, those that are dealing with homelessness are seen as invisible. And what I think is interesting in you pointing these things out is that some of these photographers are making homelessness visible outside of the West. But the question is, are you willing to make homelessness visible within the West? And I think maybe that's a question that, you know, could be an episode in and of itself. But I think it, I think it is interesting that um, there's a quickness to um, sort of address the issues elsewhere rather than address the issues at home, uh, which sort of leads into this other idea of, um, you know, how, how does travel photography function in terms of the ways in which we take pictures of people? Are we really taking pictures of them as subjects or are we taking pictures of them as objects and then and then profiting from that to some extent? 
Um, and I was curious to know your thoughts on that. All right. Uh, I think I, 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 you know, I thought a lot about the poverty porn, right? Mm. And I, you know, research as well the, that does poverty porn helps? Like you asked earlier that, you know, there are organizations which are genuinely helping people in, in you know, in these countries in Africa, Asia. So I think there is a fine line, right? Mm. Because these photographers who make them objects, it is very evident, trust me. Even a kid, kids are very smarter. They are smarter than us. Even they can sense that there's something wrong with the picture, you know? You can address poverty, right? Without making the object vulnerable, without making them, right? And then again, I think poverty porn never helps, right? There's a fine line between how you're making some people as an object or how you're helping them in, on genuine terms, right? So I think we need to draw a line. These photojournalist community need to draw a line there. And then, you know, you can, you can help them without showing pictures of the kids, right? Without showing pictures of the elderly men without clothes, without showing pictures of the woman, you know, shy woman, right? I guess the question is, and again, this is playing devil's advocate, um, you know, when we think about the media and you have maybe a few seconds to get somebody's attention, do you think removing these subjects from the pictures um, helps, uh, you can still get the point across? Sorry? So in can in you, media... Can you rephrase your question? Yeah, yeah? so Sorry. within the media, yeah. uh, let's say, let's talk about um, Afghanistan, for example, because that's a good one. And, um, you know, the idea of the burqa. And, you know, we talked about, you know, years ago, especially in 2008, there was issues about, you know, the headscarf ban in France and discussions about women's rights, etc., um, without that image of the person, do you think that there would have been the same reaction to women's rights or women's issues if we had taken, or if, if I say we as if I took the picture, um, if the media had um, actually put that picture up there, do you think it would have been as effective in drawing a discussion in the West? Uh, I think... People want to see what they want to see, yeah? And then, you know, what the West world, you know, the Western world want to see, they are showing them that. So, you you know, they are, again, the psychology comes in as well. They are, they are consuming the minds of the people. They want to show the world, the, the world to the West, how they want to see it, yeah? How the consumer want to see it. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I guess, and again, I'm 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 trying to play devil's advocate there. For those that are trying to get people to help in whatever capacity, let's say it's a charity organization, and you think about um, getting the attention of the media, getting people onto your website. Um, if you don't have these shocking images, do you think that they can still be effective? Definitely. Definitely. How so? Yeah. I think it. Uh, there might be some ways where you can, you know, again, uh, we can talk about it in the later in the episodes as well, that there should be some rules, some ethical rules and regulations set by the 
photojournalist community, visual photojournalism community. There should be some consent. There should be some compensation as well, right? Okay. okay. For the, for instance, like Matthew Palay, he is selling his pictures in you know thousand euros, etc., etc., etc. So. You know, in my humble capacity, in, in, in my humble research, I spoke to one of my photojournalist friend as well, Chirag Vakaskar. He's very much, you know, active in this, uh, in this uh, domain. So I had a conversation with him and I asked him that, do these photographers like Steve McCurry and Matthew Ballet, they compensate the, their, their subjects? He was like, no, because he's very active on Twitter. I'm not active on Twitter. They never do. So I think if you, you know, start putting up some sort of rules and regulations at place and compensate the subjects and, you know, draw a line sort of that we are not going to show the pictures of the minors, not show the pictures of the mental health patients, then, you know, it could be, you know, some sort of, you know, middle ground could be, middle ground or solution could be created to, you know, uh, seek the attention of the people who want to help. Yeah. Interesting. Um, the other thing I think, which is really important that we need to discuss, is potentially recognizing this link between travel photography, power, and colonialism. Could you explain how those three things could potentially relate to each other? All right. For that, I'll briefly uh, see things in retrospect, right? So, you know, as the as an anthropologist yourself, you can, you know, relate that the early British administrators and the anthropologists and scientists and the missionaries, they used to go to the save them and the scientists and anthropologists used to go to study them, right? Right. In order to... The exactly, and exactly, to justify their authoritarian regimes and then to exploit them, et cetera, et cetera, forever, yeah? And then there's another poem as well, by the Kipling, White Man's Burden, which was the justification for imperialism, right? Okay. So, coming back to your question, so at that time, those anthropologists and, you know, they were working on behalf of the British Empire, right? Right? Mm. So, you know, a lot of, you know, my colleagues and peers ask this question, we have this discussion that why we are still talking about colonialism? Why research on colonialism is still relevant? Because the post-colonial societies are still facing the repercussions of that colonial era. You know, the post-colonial societies, their, their hands have been tied, right? They cannot end poverty. Their, 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 you know, control has been taken away from them. You know, the international organizations are, you know, managing their economies through, you know, AIDS, IMF, etc., etc., etc. So I think what these societies are suffering has to be located from the, you know, has to be located from the historical process which instituted this inequality at first place. Yeah, these societies are still suffering from colonialism, right? So I think it's very relevant. And then coming back to the travel photography, you know, colonialism is still very much present. The packaging has changed. The form has changed. And I believe these white 
National Geographic photographers, since we are talking about them as a case study, they are still profiting from otherizing the people of East. Okay. They are making a lot of money. And so, you know, the, I was just looking at the, at the National Geographic website where Steve McCurry is was selling this picture. It was like right around about 30 to 50,000 US dollars. He was selling this picture of the one girl, Sherbat Gula. Interesting. Um, and I guess I mean, one thing, I, and I feel like this is quite important. And so I'm, I'm not trying to beat this with a dead horse. Um, but, you know, for years and years and years, you know, I, I be t I've been told, I've read in books, you know, colonialism has an impact on X. But I'm a big fan of examples so that I can make the link. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say colonialism has an effect on whatever. From my perspective, I need it. I need the shock value. I need to understand how is colonialism um, being manifested. So if we could just dig into this just a little bit more. You talk about how colonialism is being wrapped up in a different package, which is a great way to put it. Um, National Geographic, as you said, being the case study. But are, could you provide other examples in which um, colonialism is, even if we step away from photography for just a second, colonialism is still having an impact on these communities that maybe um, are being portrayed negatively by the West? All right. So f I'll, I'll just give you two examples, you know, moving away from the travel photography. You know, these, there are some sort of insecurities and complexes attached to the post-colonial societies. They are still what, very much evident there. For instance, I will not go far. I'll talk about myself. I had a problem with my dark skin, trust me. Okay. And I used whitening creams when I was in my teen age because... I was told that white color is the best color. Mm. I was told that English is the best language. You know, I would like to quote Malcolm X here that he said that the uh, the great the greater dis you know uh, disservice the white man did to the these the people of color was not that they went to their lands and exploited them and pillaged them. The greatest disservice did what they did was to make them hate their culture, their language, their skin color. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And trust me, unconsciously, these insecurities and these colonial hangovers are still there. And I'm still fighting with them. Right? And now, going to the national level, I would take an example of Pakistan. Pakistan is still tied to the colonial, you know, uh, colonial uh, sort of legacies. For instance, IMF. We don't have money of our own. Our state banks have don't have their money of their own. The IMF injects the money and our economy works. Do you think that that puts the economy in sort of like a... puts them into a corner because of the dependency element? Definitely, definitely. You know, these are leaders have no idea how to control inflation. They have no idea how to end poverty because the control has been taken away from them, Right. So again, leading back to that savior complex will help you, but there's going to be a lot of conditions involved. We're still going to be in charge, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting thing to consider. Um, if we could go back into the photography just for now, uh, we talked about the idea of you know issues, ethical issues surrounding um, taking pictures of minors, um, just taking pictures of anybody 
without their consent. Uh, could you provide some advice on, well, actually not even some advice. Uh, can you think of any photographers that do ever ask for consent when they actually take pictures of individuals? All right, there, um, there are two native photographers who are running the page of Everyday Mumbai. It's a very beautiful page. If you get a chance, go through their IG handle. They're showing the beautiful part of India, right? And the owner of that uh, that page is my uh, friend, Charar uh, Vakaskar. He's a very gentle soul. They are, they are, and then again, the, there's another page from Pakistan that is known as Everyday Pakistan. That is also showing the very beautiful part of the culture, uh, of the cultural side of the Pakistan, which the Western photographers are not showing, right? So I know very few, you know, close community of photo journalism that ask for the consent. But according to my humble research and knowledge, most of these Western National Geographic photographers, they don't ask for the consent. So how would you ask for consent then? What would be an appropriate way to do that? And I know culturally it differs from person to person. I know with the research I did in Italy, I had um, I had, I had surveys. It was slightly different. I wasn't doing photography. And then nobody ever returned the surveys or the forms. So, but, you know, Italian culture, especially where I lived, it was based more on if somebody tells you to your face, you take their word on it. Yeah. So... Um, that seemed to be okay, but then I also anonymized everybody's name, so you couldn't figure it out who it was, even if you tried. Um, but that was my experience, and I'm sure everybody would have a different interpretation of how they would deal with it. But how would you advise the best way to ask for consent, especially when it comes to photography? I think when it comes to minors, you have to ask their parents. You have Absolutely. to tell them. You have to tell them. Then I'm taking your picture. I'm going to post this picture on my website. I'm going to monetize on your picture as well. What do you think about it? Right? Would you suggest there being something in written form that they have to sign? Definitely, definitely. Okay. Definitely. And then, you know, when it comes to mental health patients, which I just showed you, these are these are empirical evidence what these photographers are doing. I think, no, those, I mean, I mean, you know, we need to draw a line that, when, when it comes to certain patients and disabled mentally or physically, we should, I don't know, it's, it's very, I think it's very complex. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree it's complex. I mean, I think, like I said, I can only base it off the field work that I did. And for ages, I tried to figure out, you know, how, how do I do this in the most ethical way possible? I mean, everybody I spoke to, I told them verbatim, this is what is happening and this is what this recorded conversation is going to be used for. And this is, you know, I, I was tried to be as transparent as possible, but having a physical signature at every time and every turn, I have emails, but I don't, it, it, it just wasn't possible in the context that I was in. But the way I dealt with that is I anonymized everything. So, um, you know, for for all the reader knows, I could have changed the gender of the person. I mean, I'm just giving an example, but the point is, I I tried to make it so that the person felt safe, you know, and they didn't feel like they could be found or whatever. And you know, it's not that my material was that sensitive in in that sense, but um, I, I do think when it comes to photography, it is that sensitive. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. Um, it's one thing to have 
an interview with somebody in a cafe. It's another thing to to expose somebody visually. And I think that's the thing that makes me more inclined to want to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed so that they don't feel like they're being exposed in a way that makes them feel vulnerable or that somebody can find them. I think that's the other thing that makes me really nervous is that people could find them. You know, you just never know. You think of, of um, you know, a minor being taken, there are photos being taken and then somebody tags you on Facebook and then they see what neighborhood you live in. Now they know where your kid lives. Like those sort of things. Like that's the stuff that would make me really, really nervous. And then to think that you're profiting off of that as well. And then that's being put on Instagram account. And now we're going to sell a picture of your kid. And now people know the neighborhood that they live in or where it was taken. I mean, it, there's just so much to unpack there, you know? I think that's the concern of the people from the West. And you know, these photographers, these Western white photographers are very smart. They know that these people we found on the roadsides, on the streets, in the forest, in the jungles, they don't have access to the Instagram. Hmm. You, you know what I mean? And they cannot even speak in their language, right? Because, you know, the, 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 the pattern which I observed and the, photo, uh, and the pictures which I have gone through, they all are pictures of the people, working class, poor people. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah. So, and I think when they take the picture, they don't, because there is a common norm in Pakistan and India, you know, people, people like to be photographed by the white people, you know, we have some sort of colonial hangover there or something. Whenever they see a white photographer, a girl or a man, they get very excited. You see, there's a white man there. And, you know, because... There's a saying that the last thing colonizers leave is your mind. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So they get very excited, maybe, and then they these Western photographers take advantage of that moment and they click them. And then, yeah. Yeah. But then I could see where that could send a mixed message to the photographer. In that they're thinking, you know, everybody's having a great time. I'm taking these pictures. Everybody's smiling. Isn't this great? There wasn't any problems. They seem totally happy about it. And yet there's no signatures to say that they were okay with it. Uh, you didn't speak to anybody's parents. Um, you don't even know their names. So, you know, I, I guess I guess the thing that I would be curious to know from your perspective is how... How do you fix that? How, you know, what discussions need to be had with photojournalists in order to get them to really think about the implications in terms of the the behaviors that they're demonstrating through taking these these um, these pictures? You know, is right. it one of those things where they have to see it from their own perspective? What if it was your kid? Is that the sort of discussion we need to have? I don't know. All right. I think the first thing to decolonize this this sort of or to deconstruct all this what is happening in the photojournalism community is that let's start with National Geographic. In their one thirty years of history, for the first time they choose the African native photographer in late twenty nineteen. For the first time, right? Let's start with this that 
they should start you know these organization these international organization they should they should start hiring the native people let's see the native people through the lens of the native people instead of the white gaze i think that would not completely make a difference because there are some native photographers as well who benefit from otherizing their community sure sure yeah so i think that will make an impact that at least the native people would try to see a lot of good in their communities as well and they would ha- highlight that that okay. could be a very beneficial step yeah mm mm-hmm. and then the other things they need to come up with certain sorts of rules and regulations regarding compensation regarding consent you know yeah yeah i mean i think the compensation thing is so important you know to think that that somebody's making money off your back i mean i'd find that i'd find that really upsetting if i was it's <laughs> really past a bookstore and i saw my face plastered on a cover of some person i've never met before I'd I'd freak. I'd totally freak out. I'd be like, "Well, what is my face doing on some cover? Who's this person? They're making money off of me." You know, I I wouldn't and then you're fighting you're fighting the internet. You're fighting the publishing world. Like it it just seems like not only are you being um you one is being taken advantage of, but there's nowhere to there's no person to go to to fix it. and i almost wonder it's it's like um with people's pictures being splattered on websites without consent which happens all the time how it seems like it needs to be bigger than that it's not just from a photographic standpoint but in terms of like international legislation making sure that people maintain their dignity and that they don't feel like um they're going against something that is just so infinitely bigger than themselves absolutely absolutely and i think the thing is that what i want you know what steps should be taken because you know we need to have real conversation the western communities need to have real conversations and they should treat the western subjects and the eastern subjects equally right and another thing is that you know these uh, international organizations they are very smart because my friends were telling that because steve macari is being called out by so many people now he is trying to change his strategy a little bit yeah and then you know again you know that diversity is again as used as a tokenism right of showing sprinkling brown and black people here and there it's a corporate corporate strategy right well and it's a money making strategy is right they don't want to lose their audience members they know that this is the next air quote hot thing well let's throw in a few people we've done our job and then we move on but again um the you know let's see at the positive side there are a lot of you know real conversations happening in the twitter i'm not on twitter but one of my friends who i'm in touch with and who i had a, a conversation with him as well the other day they are co- calling out white photographers but again you know the the control is there where the money is and the western institutions had the money had all the money right so again there is another interesting debate uh, going on when we you know when we talk about that you know this is happening they are you know making monetizing on our native people but there is collaboration going on as well 
the native people who collaborate with the white western photographers they said that at least we are getting something you know our state is doing nothing to promote tourism our state is doing nothing to you know elevate our life uh, status but at least we are getting something because i have i don't have a full research on this but there is a lot of collaboration going on as well between the natives and the you know western photographers as well so there is another debate going on uh, here would you say money's the big driver in all of this of course it is yeah of course it is yeah hmm and i think that that is always going to be the slippery slope is when money when <laughs> money's involved um and and people know that they can they can benefit from accepting things that they might not find palatable it's amazing how we can we as a as a as a people can sort of um tolerate things that maybe under different circumstances we wouldn't tolerate absolutely and then you know at the end of the day you have you know bills to pay <laughs> well that's exactly it that's exactly it yeah but in the you know in the east in the in the in these countries the dynamics of the money and this is totally different from the west you know people you know you know you, yeah, the there's no social security provided by the states so they they don't miss a chance if they you know even get exploited and they make money out of collaborations they would do that yeah and i think that idea of exploitation and how that's being used is something that also needs to be taken in consideration um before we close um i'd like to ask you what steps do you think need to happen in order to reduce the power dynamics between the photographer and their subjects all right first i think like i mentioned that the there should be more native photographers representing the native people and then to in order to reduce the power dynamics between the subject and the photographer i think there should be some sort of consent there should be some sort of written rules and regulations and compensation as well yeah and then representing the people which they deserve to be how they deserve to be represented right not showing them like uh, people who are always hungry people who are their kids are naked like i said that you know trust me the india pakistan these bangladesh there are so many beautiful things about them there are so many beautiful things about their culture there are so many beautiful things about their women women are thriving they are working women they are you know they are doing wonders so i think again um it's a bit again it's a very tricky sort of a situation here because still there are conversations going on about this yeah but it doesn't seem like it's any closer to finding a resolution am i correct i don't ah uh, yeah i don't think so yeah yeah gosh well that does i think hopefully give the listeners something to think about because this is this is a pervasive problem um and i don't i don't mean to sound so negative but i think when we when we look at a magazine and we pick it up and we look at the pictures my hope the takeaway is that people might look at the pictures in a little bit from a little bit different perspective in terms of how do those pictures come to be on the page and does the person that we're looking at right now are they even aware that they're on that page to begin with 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the like I said earlier, that for me personally, why I am so much passionate about this and then, you know, and then I reached out to you that I want to talk about it because of the kids, you know, the minor girls, because there is a pattern amongst, again, amongst the National Geographic photographers that they took lead from the Steve McCurry picture of that Aguan girl. They show little innocent girls, you know, wearing dupatta, yeah, and yeah. Be- with beautiful eyes. Yeah. Come on, you know, we, we need to take care of at least kids, man. No, I agree. I agree. So that that really hit me hard, and I thought that, you know, I need to talk about it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is the place where um, discussions can happen, and hopefully for those that are listening uh, if you have any comments or suggestions or um, if you'd like to reach out to Sonia, we can always um, send over her information and you can always reach out to her directly. Before we end up, I would like to give credits. Sure. Um, I would like to give credit to Sacred Footsteps. There's a beautiful, there's a website which uh, uh, which I, you know, benefited a lot about the travel photography, about the Orientalist gaze, about the wide gaze, about you know, otherizing the people of East. And I would like to give uh, uh, give my special thanks to my photo uh, journalist friend, Charag Vakaskar. He's based in US, but he's originally from India, Mumbai. So he's doing a wonderful uh, job of, you know, showing the other side of the India to the world. Wonderful. And a very, very thank you to you because giving me an opportunity, I'm very naive. Uh, I was very anxious as well that uh, you know if I could give justice to this podcast uh, because my understanding is very humble it's it's not that uh, you know sort of uh, uh, you could say um, very uh, profound but still I wanted to contribute towards this uh, podcast. I don't think you should be so hard on yourself I think what's important is that you're providing the white gaze with the gaze of those who have can see the impact of it. And I think that's, that's the important thing is that, you know, we need to see the other side of it, even if it's just your own personal perspective, your perspective is just as important as anybody else's. So thank you. um, Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, With that, I have to say that's it from us at coffee and cocktails with your host, Dr. Ann Wand. I'd like to thank Sonia again for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on today's topic will be available on our website in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, then please remember to like subscribe and consider becoming a patron starting at one pound per month. It's support from our patrons that really helps to keep the show going. By becoming a patron, you get access to extra bonus content, patron-only interviews, panels, workshops, and much more. To join, just head over to patreon.com slash podcast. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.